Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit Michter's.com to find out how their taste-is-everything, cost-be-damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. And uh, before we get started today, I do want to make an announcement. This is the last week of our fundraiser drive here at Heritage Radio Network. And in this very last week, if you guys want to donate, we actually have a mysterious uh, philanthropist, probably a crazy eccentric billionaire but what he's doing is actually going to be matching all of your donations so if you go to www.heritagenetwork.org and make a donation it would be as if you were making two donations but only half will come out of your bank account so that's great um and thank you so much for your support thus far so far it's been a a great fundraiser um i'm very excited about our show today we have maria sinski here from robert sinski vineyards in napa california welcome to the show Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> very, very excited to have you. We, we recently had um, uh, Robert, your husband, over at La Picho, one of our restaurants, uh, to do a winemaker dinner along with Steve Mathiason, and it was a huge success. Uh, it was one of our most popular dinners, sold out right away. I wish you could have been there. Uh, I wish I could have been there, too. Um, I heard it was quite a show. <laughs> We like to start off this show with uh, with some of our, our favorite or most interesting wines that we we drank in the last week. Um, my my favorite wine, and I'll give you a moment to think about something that you've had recently that's good. And if you guys hear that in the background, Maria was kind enough to bring quite an assortment of uh, <laughs> of wines to the show. And I'm I'm eager, even though it's uh, it is 10 a.m. I'm eager to uh, to get going because I know there's some labels I recognize and uh, some that aren't Sinski wines too which I'm excited to try. Um, but my favorite wine that I tried this week was the Pietra Coupa Fiano di Avellino um, from Campania, from Avellino. It's kind of inland, high-altitude volcanic soil. Uh, it's a wine that I've known for, for many years. Um, I actually worked with their distributor here in New York. And uh, I, I've, I haven't tasted it in a while, and I was remembered as to the, the incredible balance that you get with the great extract of Fiano, the uh, high acidity, and that, that interesting kind of volcanic salty minerality uh, was just an awesome wine. Uh, great for great for summer. I think great for any time of year, but uh, it, just, it just knocked me, uh, knocked my socks off. But have you had a, a wine this past week that, uh, that uh, is particularly memorable? Yes, actually, uh, the Domaine Vincent Carême Vouvray 2008. Um, Pascaline Le Peltier last night introduced me to this wine, and I'm a huge Chenin, Chenin Blanc fan. I'm a, I'm a huge acid head. Any wine that has acid is right up my alley, and this wine was just so beautiful. It had that, that qu- quince skin, not to get too geeky, but I don't know if you've ever gone and picked a quince from a tree. 
I, no, I I, never, I live in New York City. We don't, okay, okay, I'm sure. <laughs> I know sure. that in, in the heart of uh, California wine country, you have quinces growing and passion fruit and, and probably like a toucan will fly and land on your shoulder. But no, here in New York, we, we don't have things like quince tree. <laughs> I know, but I don't feel sorry for you because you guys have a lot here. And I know that figs grow in Brooklyn, or actually in Queens. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be a quince tree somewhere. But anyway, if, if anybody ever gets a chance to, to find a quince tree and pick a quince and smell it, that's what this wine was all wow. about, quince. And it was it had a little bit of residual sugar, but it was so beautiful. The brilliant acidity of it really shined through. And I was so surprised by it. It was like luxurious. Yeah, and, and if anyone is an expert in the wines of Loire Valley, it's, it's Pascaline. So I have no doubt that whatever that she, whatever she's going to give you from Loire is going to be pretty amazing. Yeah, we we basically went through all, all the high acid grapes um, last night. Great. So, and that's for me. It's all about you know, it's about balance, but it's also having this you know, being a chef. It's all about having acidity in the wine and a brightness and something that you know refreshes your palate and makes you want to eat more. Yeah. So Maria, as you said, you're. Uh, you were formerly a chef, or still currently I'm guess, still a, chef, a chef. Formerly a restaurant chef, and now a winery and home chef. Um, yeah. uh, award-winning chef at that, uh, Food and Wine, Best New Chef, as well as San Francisco Chronicle Awards, and, and, and many others. How? <laughs> tell us about your, your current role and what it means to be culinary director of a winery, because I've been to many wineries all around the world and have never met a culinary director at a winery. Okay, that, that was like the official... Um, really boring title, but really I'm chief cook and bottle washer. That's my, that's my official title. And it's because I basically do everything. So, you know, we raise, we raise sheep, we slaughter the sheep, we grow all the vegetables, we pick all the fruit. And I, it's my job to take all of the, these foodstuffs that we, we grow and raise and, and turn them to something edible in the tasting room. Or, you know, for chefs and visiting sommeliers and people that visit the winery. And um, one thing, you know, wine at the table is the most important thing. I mean, we can talk a lot about this wine and that wine. But really, when people, especially when people go to Europe, Mm -hmm. if you want to take an old old world reference. As I usually do. Yeah, people, and and me too, because I mean, I'm from New York. And I grew up drinking European wines because that's close. (laughs) But, um, you know, people go to Europe and, they, and they're just so enthralled by sitting down at the table and having these wines. And they come back to the U.S. and they can't capture that experience. Um, and they can get the same wines, but it's that, that, that moment. It's where they're, it's the, it's the temperature of the air, who they're with, that whole experience. And I really think that, you know, wine at the table, that's where wine belongs. That's, that, to me, is the end-all, be-all for that. That's what I reach for, is, is being at the table and having a glass of wine and maybe getting like a pairing because people are so stuck on pairings. And I'm thinking, you know what? If you don't like the wine with the food, open another bottle or, or don't eat it with the food. But um, it's just that just, you know, and, and in Europe, you know, wine grows up with food. I mean, the same, the grapes that are grown in the dirt raises certain crops and it's just kind of this natural, you know, coming together of food and wine. And in the U.S., we're a melting pot, not just of, of, of you know, cuisine, of people from around the world that have brought everything, but wine is a melting pot here too. I agree. You know, I was going to ask you a selection of uh, pairings at the end of the show, but I'm going to recount that. Can't we do something? Can't we have another one? No, but you're right. I love that, uh, that European aspect of you, you have the wine on the table and it is uh, as important as anything else and not much more so, right? So right. It, 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 
you can't have a full table without the wine, nor is it nor is it necessarily the the be all and end all of the yeah, story. There's it's, no pressure. It's just, there's it's, no yeah. pressure. You know, and that's the thing. People feel. I think that in in the U.S. we're so pressured for everything we do, like to be good at this and be good at that, and this has to go with this, and this your shoes have to match your outfit, and your handbag has to match your shoes, and it's like we're we put our, so much pressure on ourselves, and and wine's not about pressure. It's about, you know, just relax, relaxation. It's about, you know, I mean, it's lifestyle. Yeah. You know? It's funny. People don't look at other fancy food products in that same way that they, they do wine. They don't say, you know, I really like olive oil, but I'm no olive oil expert. I really like cheese, but I'm no cheese expert. And you always hear that with wine. People feel the pressure that they need to need to know so much about it in order to enjoy it. And, and I enjoy the, the knowing about it and, and learning about it, but uh, I, I don't think that that is a prerequisite to, uh, to enjoy wine. Well, I think there's only so much uh, room in the room for geeks because my, my husband basically, I, you know, I started studying for my master's of wine and basically said he, Rob, my husband, told me that I've emasculated him because now when we, when we walk into a restaurant, he just hands me the list. He's like, you know, just take it. Just take the list, look at it, and and um, you know I can geek out more than anybody. Sometimes he 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 tells me, or he says, "You're going to that far off place," and he knows because I I pick up a glass of wine, I smell it, and my eyes glaze over, and I'm starting to think about, "Oh, what grape is this?" Blah blah blah. Total geekdom, but um, sometimes that's a big turnoff to people that yeah. you know, you know, they're not geeks. They're like, "Hey, you know, I like this wine, I don't like this wine," and I'm like, "Perfect." That's the way it should be. You like it or you don't like it. That's it. Yeah, I, I definitely don't uh, don't do the whole swirling the 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 slurping of the wine at the dinner table with my girlfriend's parents. You know, it's not. <laughs> They'll I think, think that, something's wrong with you. Yeah, they, I, I agree with that. So, are you still working on the on the MW? You're working. I, on I'm still. Right? I took a break. Actually, it was a forced break. I, I I took the exam three times and didn't pass enough of it to get a half pass. So sadly, I bowed out for a couple of years. Yes. But a well-needed break because it is so much pressure. And with two kids and a business to run and, and everything thrown at me, it's actually, I'm, I'm just having such a good time good. not studying all the time. Yeah. I, you know, I did the first year of the program and they, they recommended that I move on to the second year. And then I took a six-year break and <laughs> no plans to resume. You know, it the, is a lot of work. But the journey is so much fun and learning about... You know, going and tasting with people and I, I mean the blind wine game the blind tasting game is awesome i love doing that and 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 my you know my husband does it to me all the time and he he embarrasses me he's always like okay now maria's gonna guess this wine <laughs> <laughs> it's a parlor game um but i had a really good time in the program i met so many great people and there's so many amazing mws you know and mws you know they're not ms's so they're not in the service part so it's a little bit different it's a little bit more you know it's a little bit more inward journey than an outward journey but um no, it was really, really fun, and I'll go back, and I'm going to go back and pass that thing. Yes, we're rooting for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the only chef. I'll be the only chef that's ever been Whoa. dumb enough to go after that. <laughs> talking about your, your chef and, and your, your cooking, how has uh, working and living at the winery affected the way that you cook? Actually, 
we should reverse that question. How has my cooking, you know, no, no. Cause, cause at first, you and know, how has your cooking well, changed the winery? Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, my, my, my cooking's always been very simple. It's, it, it's pretty much taking whatever is in the ground or whatever's around you seasonally and putting it together and, and, and making a meal. And, um, you know, when I when I married my husband, I, it's really funny because I said, you know, honey, you married me because you you wanted to have a private chef. And he turns to me, he goes, Maria, it would have been a hell of a lot cheaper if I just hired a chef. <laughs> so that's his big <laughs> comeback every time I say that. But um, no, before I came on board, um, they'd always been making there's there was a chef before me at the winery. And he had started the whole cooking program because our wines are really meant for food. And we hear blah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody says that. But um, we've tried to do our farming methods, which are biodynamic and organic, really working to, now I'm going to get geeky, to balance in the vines. I mean, plants want to balance. Everybody wants balance. Human beings want balance in their body and their life. Vines want balance in the vineyard. It's all about balancing fruit with the canopy, vice versa. So we've tried to achieve balance in our wines through farming. And as a result, we have wines that are more restrained, brighter acidity, naturally, um, lower alcohol. And these are wines that I You're find... You're not dumping bags of tartaric acid in there? No, 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 no. Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, um, we do have some... We have this white bucket of tartaric acid, and it's really... It's kind of grungy. And basically, I use it for cooking for cream of tar- tartar. <laughs> <laughs> I take it to cook with because Jeff rarely, rarely uses it. So it's been sitting there and sitting there and sitting here. And I watch this white bucket get grungier and grungier, but inside it's still clean. But so I, I take that and I, I actually cook with it. So that, that's, you know, you know, acid comes in bag, bags. Yes, it does. But, you know, you don't want to dump it in. And of course, there are some vintages where you want to help a little bit. But, you know, the thing is, everybody looks at adding acid at this big, big, you know, you know bad thing. But the alternative is picking underripe. Now, I, I think that you shouldn't pick grapes overripe. I think there is a, that you should pick them when they're ready. And yes, you can maybe like budge that a little and pick it a little earlier. But to pick underripe to, mm-hmm. to preserve the acidity, you also lose a lot of, of the aromatics, all the phenolics that are in the ripe skin. So there, it is, again, it's about balance. Hi, I'm Jesse Kiefer, host of The Morning After. This summer, Heritage Radio Network is turning Cinco. That's five for you non-Spanish speakers. Since our launch in 2009, we've continued to bring you food, culture, and content like nobody else. And we need your help. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a passionate, grassroots, action-oriented, nonprofit organization. That means we depend on the support from listeners like you to keep us alive. If you love what you hear on Heritage Radio Network, visit our website and become a member today. Thanks for listening, and thanks so much for your support. Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small. From careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost be damned, taste is everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said, it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com 
or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. Now, going back to the farming, um, the grapes are all farmed organically and, and biodynamically. Is the, uh, how has that approach to farming affected the food at the winery? How has it affected the food? Well, you know, well, the good thing is, is that all the food now that we serve is organic and biodynamic because, cool. you know, the vegetables and everything, it's not just about the, the grapes. It's about everything we grow. And, and I think that does it have more nutrition? Does it have more flavor? Well, I think anything that you grow and pull from the ground and it's so fresh and it doesn't have time to lose its vitamins and all the nutrition in it. I think that it's been really positive that we have these animals and vegetables and fruits that are that have um that are really good tasting and um but just keep it simple if you have a great beet Mm -hmm. don't screw it up you know if you have wonderful lamb don't screw it up don't try and hide the flavors keep things simple you know sometimes i mean salt is my biggest seasoning and herbs that i pick from around the winery so um i don't think i think it's very synergistic I think that for me, it's about being simple and simple when in cooking is much harder than being, than adding a lot of things. And I find particularly with young cooks is they always want to add something for color and they needs more of this and needs more of that. And when you start throwing everything together, it starts masking the beauty of your ingredients. So, um, I think that just cooking at the winery and the journey over the years, I, I've even pulled back even more. And let the ingredients be more simple and more restrained. You know, a criticism of uh, biodynamic winemaking is that, or at least uh, 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 grape growing, is that it's really something that can only be done on a very small scale. Now, Zinsky has grown to about 200 acres, which which is not massive and and industrial, but it's also not a tiny winery. It's a a, a medium size, medium to big size, you know, winery. Uh, yeah. what, how would you respond to this this criticism? I and mean, you guys have, are clearly doing it uh, successfully. I think that that's everybody's excuse for not doing it. Um, it takes a lot of effort. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of money. Um, but biodynamics is about the health of the soil. And basically, if you don't have healthy soil, nothing. Nothing grows well. I mean, you can grow it. You can fertilize it. You can add everything that vine needs artificially, or you can build up um, the organic matter in the soil, build up the microbial activity so that the vines can access nutrients and, and, and be healthier so there's less spray, so the fruit is more balanced. Because, you know, the grapes, it's not just a grape. That grape has so many chemicals and, well, natural compounds, chemicals. I mean, what is a chemical? Oh, God, I'm going down the rabbit hole. But Let's go with natural compounds. <laughs> natural see, compounds. Even if chemicals accurate, you know, I think it has it, it, it creates a visceral acid, feeling in people. You know, so yeah, let's go with natural compounds. Potassium. Yeah. There's all these different minerals um, and acids and grapes that they need this, this balanced mm-hmm. soil. They need this healthy soil. So, so if you do it on, on 10 acres or on 200 acres, it's all about making the soil happy and, and nutritious for the vines. And so you can do it on any scale you want. It just depends on how much effort you want to put into it and how much money you want to put into it. And for us, it's not about the money. Yes, we want to make money because everybody wants to make money, right? But we don't have to make a pile of money. We want to make a wine that we're really proud of, that goes really well with, with what we do, what we, what we eat. 
Um, we want people to enjoy it and we want to have a really good product that's not manipulated. And so we're not going to grow any bigger. I, my husband and I have both agreed that we're done. Like <laughs> this is our capacity and, and that's it. So, and not, we pulled out a lot of, um, acres actually mm-hmm. right now because we're doing a lot of, um, uh, masal selection. So we're doing a lot of, we're selecting our biomaterial, which Rob has always done. He actually saved when the big phylloxera event came with AXR and we, everyone was ripping out. Um, was he originally planted on AXR? Yes, yeah, some of so, our vineyards and, and people were planting. So for you guys who don't, don't know, that's, you, geeky. You, that's pretty geeky. UC Davis um, suggested that everyone plant on this supposedly phylox-resistant rootstock, AXR 16, is it? Was yeah, it? I called it? the cross trainer. Um, and and uh, unfortunately, UC Davis was incorrect about the level of phylloxer resistance that that uh, that this rootstock had. So there was a massive planting on it, and then uh, ten years later, maybe a massive yeah. replanting when everyone re- realized that their vines were, uh, were were being destroyed by phylloxera. Yeah, and people were ripping up these vines, and a lot of them had these um, heirloom selections. People mm. call them heirloom now. And Rob realized that, and so he saved a lot of the cuttings. So we've always had a lot of um, cuttings from old, older, older selections. So, and we're starting to do a lot of our own selections now. So Great. and cleaning them up. So yeah, anytime I mean, it's a, a big tragedy of of phylloxera. Not only is uh, you know money and vintages and wine lost, but but variety is lost. I just mm-hmm. think about in the 19th century when it first hit Europe, how many more grapes were there that never got replanted because maybe they were too difficult to grow and they said, well, let's, let's plant with something that's more marketable or it was just so small that there was no genetic material left. Right. Um, so the, the variety get, decreases significantly anytime you have a, a, a big vineyard disease event like that. So yeah. it's great. I think that's great work that is able to, to save some of the, the heirloom clones. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really import, important. And these are actually vines that have adapted these, these, this, 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 this material has adapted to the California climate. Mm. And so what's ha- been happening in Europe for, for centuries, you know, what's happening in California, these, these plants were adapting to their climate. So to just rip them out and start looking at a catalog and saying, I'm going to plant a Dijon clone. Like I hear Dijon, I hear Pomard, and we do have small amounts of that because there is a place in the blend. And we're talking about Pinot Noir now, but to have everything planted to that is like boring. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so we're, we're talking about wine. No guest has ever brought me so much wine, so I'm so excited. Uh, what, what have you brought to share with us? Well, I, I, I brought our, our Pinot Blanc, um, our Abraxas. Yes. And a Clos de Capuchin from um, Domaine Weinbach Pinot Blanc. Okay. Which I really love. Uh, I brought our, our 2011 um, Pinot Noir, Los Carneros. And I brought a, a Pomard from um, Jean-Michel Gonneau. And because I, f- I feel like you can never taste wine in a vacuum. Yes. It's really important to even when particularly when you're making your own wine is to always taste what's going on in the rest of the world just for reference and just to see. I mean, it's not about competition. It's about just it's, it's about exploring. It's about educating yourself. And um, these wines where we have in the ice bucket here. And yeah. Should we taste the two Pinot Blancs? I yeah. Yeah. I think we should. I think they're I think they're. Are you going to drink out of the bottle? <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't say anything, they wouldn't have been able to see it. I know. It. I know. Get the straw. <laughs> Jack, do we have crazy straws back there? Oh, no. Uh, we, we, we actually have a drawer, drawer of crazy straws at home. I can't throw them out. I'm afraid I won't be able to replace them. 
Okay, so we have here the Robertsinski Vineyards Pinot Blanc 2012 vintage from Carneros. Yes, and this um, this comes from our Carneros. We basically have uh, most of our um, most of our grapes are planted in the Napa side of the Carneros. Um, we do have some planted in our one Sonoma um, Carneros vineyard, which is called Cintia. And I love this Pinot Blanc. This Pinot Blanc was actually it was planted to blend into our Chardonnay that we used to make. Um, and we had the, the Chardonnay vineyard was on AXR. And that kind of was the impetus to get going on the biodynamics and organics because they said this vineyard is not going to last. You need to rip it out. And that's when my husband went to the vineyard and realized like the soil was dead and something had to change. And so 10 years later, we finally ripped out the Chardonnay vineyard. And we had planted this to blend into that Chardonnay. And uh, all of a sudden, we, when we replanted it, we didn't like what we replanted. It was still a great Chardonnay, but we're like, we're done with that. Done with Chardonnay. You know, we're not going to do that anymore. So the Pinot Blanc was left. Wow. So that, you just think about that, that how much time and I'm sure money as well uh, it takes to, to say, let's try a Chardonnay. I don't like the Chardonnay. This is like a many year project going on. It's not an overnight thing where you're like, let's try to put, uh, you know, uh, uh, veal shank on the, on the menu tonight. Uh, that didn't sell well. The guests didn't really like it, so we'll take it off tomorrow night. And that's a big yeah. thing between making wine. And, you know, and, and when people, you know, wines for me, and especially the wines we make, it's, it's really personal. So I understand that everybody has different palates, but if someone says something about our wine, I have to like kind of swallow and think, like, don't rip their head off. No. <laughs> no, no, actually, what I think I'll is... I'll give you my comments to myself. No, what I think <laughs> is, is that... Okay, if you don't like it, that's fine because you probably like a different style, mm-hmm. and we all all of our palates are so different. What you like or what you're tasting might be completely opposite of what I think, and I think that's part of the problem when you're talking about wine to a novice. You're saying like quince and oh apple skin and pips and everything, and they're going, "What the heck? I don't taste that. I taste something fruity." <laughs> you know, I personally actually tried to keep particular tasting notes to to speaking when I'm speaking with other professionals. I right. don't think it's personally a useful way to convey wines to, to guests. I'd rather tell the story about what you guys are doing yeah. and then talk more about the structure and why it might, it might be good with something that, th- I, that they're I, eating. I think that's great. And a lot of times when I'm out peddling our wines, I sometimes don't even talk. I forget to talk about the wine Yes, because I'm telling the story and I'm like, ah, does it really matter? Do you like it or not? Do you like, eh. Speaking of the wine. So we have this, the Pinot Blanc and my first impression is that it, first it's, it's more aromatic than I was expecting for the Pinot Blanc grape, which is not really known for its aromatics. Really nice. Not that it is like Riesling Gewürztraminer or aromatic, but a little bit, a little bit more complex, more floral notes than, than I was expecting. But that's new world. I mean, that's mm. new world. And, and you know, New World always gets kind of like the shaft a little bit. But again, when you're talking about expression of place, when you think about New World wines, and when you talk to old world producers, they're talking about New World wines and how their wines compare to the New World, and they're not poo-pooing New World wines. Like New World producers poo-poo New World wines. You know, it's kind of this like, be careful what you wish for. I can't tell you how many winemakers 
sons and daughters who uh, who are going to enology school in Europe then do their apprenticeship in I'm sure you see them in California yeah. all the time and these are wineries that you know that we all greatly respect and and we we love the wines they're sending their kids to the new world to, to learn a different way of doing things a different way and also I hate to say it but a cleaner way I mean I I love natural wines I love opening the bottle I mean I'm opening my whole new bag of worms are here um but I love natural wines and I love the story of the natural wines. And But sometimes I just want a glass. Sometimes a whole bottle is a bit too much for me, but they're super interesting and they have a great story. And the way they're made, um, I think natural wines also, because you're a big natural wine person. Wow, we, we could finger we pointing could, we and could, everything. We could totally, we're going to arm wrestle <laughs> on this one. But you know, a lot of these natural wines taste really good right where they're made. Yes. Do you know what I mean? You go there, and that's like one of those experiences. You go there, and you're like, this this wine is mind-blowing, but then you put it into a case, and you ship it all the way over here, and sometimes it doesn't taste the same. Do you think that? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm questioning you now. <laughs> well, I don't... So, I... I there, there is a common perception amongst uh, amongst our guests, and I think it's very common with, with, with many people who aren't in the industry, that when you drink wine in the country that it's from, that it is somehow a different product, even if it's the same, it's the same bottle. They say, oh, but they add many more sulfites for, for the export. I've heard and that this, too. And this happen, it's, it still happens all the time. So I, so I don't want to, to I, and so I know we're talking about natural wine that's separate, but I, I definitely want to say if a winemaker is bottling wine, they don't put a certain portion aside for, for the export market. <laughs> no, they and, don't. And they don't. As you can. <laughs> no, they don't. You know, it's the same wine. Um, so, but yes, natural wines are more delicate. Uh, they exactly. require much better handling, better storage. You can have it could be not to the natural winemaker's uh, fault that that they that at some some point along the shipping it it was exposed to some heat, and yeah. if it was unfiltered and unsulfured, it's going to not be so yummy. But people that know natural wines accept that. Mm. I mean, that's the one thing. Well, and I don't that's accept. So- I don't accept a faulty wine. Well, I don't think that they're necessarily well, I've seen your list faulty. <laughs> <laughs> We're going. We are really digging ourselves into this, and I don't think that we should go there right now. <laughs> but anyway, the whole thing about my point was before we went down that rabbit hole was that you know New World wine shouldn't be poo pooed for being aromatic or mm-hmm. being clean because I mean look at look at Sauvignon Blanc in Bordeaux. It's it's taken off. I don't know whether to its detriment or not, but they found ways to make it in a cleaner style and a fresher style. And it's done great things for entre du mer yes. <laughs> and a lot of those because they're using stainless steel now. Um, is that good or bad? I don't know. I have really, I kind of want to say to the Bordelais, keep making the wine you used to make that took 20 years, 30 years to come around. But how do you tell people they can't have the newest TV? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh no, you can't start selecting berry by berry so that your wine is more like California wine. You can't do this. You can't because because I I I am a traditionalist. I love that old style. I love funky burgundies. Do you remember when burgundies used to be like? Well, you didn't. It was kind of a crapshoot when you open yes. the bottle. Is it going to be sake or mushroom? Is it going to be pooey or is it going to be <laughs> fermenting or what is it yeah. going? And now they look at burgundy. 
everybody's cleaned up their acts, better seller practices, yes. they've traveled. And so the wines are cleaner. Is that necessarily worse? I don't know. Should we say, no, go back to your stinky ways? And start, sorry, all you, I don't mean that all Burgundy producers are stinky, but mean, meaning should you go back to when you didn't, didn't know about keeping things sanitary? Like, because wine has always been about sanitation and all these sulfur, all these ways to sanitize and make things cleaner and better, we are now poo-pooing and saying, no, we actually want to go back. But back is more interesting, I think. And I think before, when you opened a bottle of wine, it, it was kind of like, is it going to be good? Yes. You know, it, or, or is it going to be perfect every time? Because if it's perfect every time, that's kind of boring. That's boring as well. But then people like reliability. People yes. like to have, if they're spending money on a bottle of wine. Especially an expensive bottle of wine. So it's like this whole, you can, have, you can go around in circles over and over again. Like, do we want it that way? Do we want it the new way? What do we want? We really we, we, we just, just want, want a, nice, a good glass of wine. We want a nice that's glass all, that's of wine. That's all we want. Exactly. Uh, the other thing that uh, that surprised <laughs> me about this wine was, and I know you've said that the the A word a few times already, but it does have really good acidity, not just for a Napa Valley wine, but uh, for the Pinot Blanc grape, which is really not known known for that. Actually, Pinot good Pinot Blanc has a pretty good amount of acid in it. Well, Moderate plus. Moderate plus. Moderate plus. Oh, you, is I'm it high? high. <laughs> I know that's a geeky thing we say, but moderate. you knew what I was talking about. It's not sexy at all to say moderate plus. I know acidity. it has good acidity, <laughs> and it, it, but it can't. It has a propensity to overripen quickly. Yes, and lose its acidity. So, but I really like this wine because it's just fresh and 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 clean, and it does have aromatics. And we're going to taste the um, the Weinbach now. Do, does that mean I have to drink this whole glass? Yeah, or you have the other glasses too. No, 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 no. All right, let's drink this glass. Here. Hmm. All right. I almost slurped. <laughs> I almost did. That would have been nasty. I did, I did it off. I did it off mic. You did it off mic. Yeah. I almost did. It on so mic. I have to give a shout out to one of our producers, uh, Jory Morales, who has was recently at uh, at your winery. Uh, he's he's waving, saying hi, and, and saying that we only have a couple minutes left, unfortunately. Oh, bummer. But he he came in May, uh, had a spectacular time. And uh, I know he's a big fan of the uh, the Sinsky Rosé, which I, I totally agree with him. It's uh, one of my favorite domestic rosés. It's a spectacular wine. Well, the Van, the Van Grie, Rob started making that in 1991, and he could not sell it. No one wanted dry pink wine. And he just kept on making it and making it and making it. I mean, you know, snotty, snotty people that wanted something really fancy would not allow it to be put into their glass because, heaven forbid, they had something pink in their glass. But he kept doing it and doing it, and now hey, the whole world is pink, mm-hmm. which is awesome. I can't believe I'm saying this. So the Weimach tastes, it tastes so similar to yours, actually, but with less acid. <laughs> 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 it's, it's really nice as well. But it's, 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 it's aromatic, though. Mm-hmm. It is aromatic. It very, the aromatics are very similar. Completely different terroir. It is completely different terroir. And the thing about I, I love Domaine Weinbach wines. I was cooking in Alsace, and I, every, my, every free hour I was at a winery tasting wines, and I fell in love with Alsatian wines. And one reason we got on, on the, like the Abraxas of Terroir, it's Alsatian varietals, because my crazy husband thought, okay, you know, we'll plant these in a cool spot and see if it works. And it, they did. And so I love Alsace. Yes. I think the food is amazing. You can't rent a villa there and have a sunny holiday. But 
you know, it's pretty beautiful. I'm a big fan of the Abraxas. It's been on our list at Lepicho since we uh, since we first opened. Uh, it's one of my favorite. I didn't wines pay him to say that. No, it's it's the truth. <laughs> you can go go to uh, our website right now. You'll see it on the list. <laughs> Uh, and this and this is delicious. Thank you so much for uh, for bringing this. You're welcome. I really appreciate. it. Okay, so let's taste Abraxas really quick because then and then we need to. No, I don't want to go. This you has been so an, much fun. It's such an interesting life. Like, <laughs> <laughs> living in Alsace. You, know, you were. I've you, traveled around the world. I mean, I'm a traveler. My husband says, "Don't anybody talk about a trip because I will pack my suitcase and go." Jeez. Here's a glass for you. So. Uh, I, one of the other things I like about it, and this is such a mundane, geeky question, but you have these these really cool um, glass stoppers on the top. I know they're they're super pricey, but you don't you never have to worry about corkage. <laughs> no, no, Cork-y-ness. you actually have to worry about corkage when you bring a bottle of wine into a restaurant, into a restaurant. but not no a corky ah. uh, stinky wine. Yeah, that present that prevents that, but also you know these wines are meant to be drunk in, in a couple of years of release. Mm. Um, and we actually were introduced to this closure by Domaine Weinbach. Someone handed Rob the bottle and said, hey, you know, I think you'd be, you know, interested in this closure. And he goes, if it's good enough for Weinbach, it's good enough for us. Because those ladies yeah. are, you know, they're right on top of what they're doing. Yeah. And if you're not like me and carry a corkscrew around wherever you go, I can't tell you how many times I've had them confiscated at the airport from me, um, your favorite uh, too many screw. times ah it's it's really frustrating it's it's also nice you bring it on a picnic and you you can just pop it it's open great it's easy they are great and and the thing is my husband went to parsons school of design here in new york and he's very much into aesthetics in packaging mm. and so he versus you know we don't do screw caps because aluminum smelting is so toxic it's one of the most toxic processes so that's kind of our environmental Californianess coming out but um this is a you can recycle these if you can take them to a recycling center that mm-hmm. does small glass pieces um and we reuse them all the time to reseal any bottle it might not be an exact fit but it's a great closure for this one it keeps it fresh it keeps it constant um and again you can reuse the closure so that that helps well Cheers. I'm so happy to be drinking Abraxas with you in the morning in Bushwick. I couldn't. This is like a dream come true for me. Maria, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I have never personally visited Sinski, but and for all my accounts of Jory and all of my the guests I've sent there, everyone says it's just an absolutely incredible visit, and we are proud to have your wines at, uh, at La Picho. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for your support. And thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for listening. This has been In the Drink on Heritage Radio network.org Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>